You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. What I know to be true is that women were always meant to lead. And by shining a light on those doing it well today, my hope is that more women will be inspired to use their own voice. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for being with me for another week of Women to Watch. It's so great to be back. With me tonight will be Esther Westenbaum, and Esther is the president and COO of Ruby Has, which is a global fulfillment company based in New York. Uh, And she's going to be joining me in just a minute. You'll also hear from our watch team bringing you news and inspiration from their various industries. So be sure to stay with us during our breaks uh, to hear their various segments. As always, be sure to visit us at womentowatch.net for all things related to the show. And be sure to sign up for our newsletter and podcast so you never miss an episode. If you'd like to learn more about becoming a part of our on-air watch team, feel free to email laura at womentowatch.net. That's laura, L-A-U-R-A, at womentowatch.net. So now I'm thrilled and honored to, to have with me this evening Esther Westenbaum. Esther, thanks so much for being with me tonight. Thank you. It's my pleasure. So I understand you are joining us uh, from California, and um, but originally you are from Brooklyn, New York, and is that right? right? Yeah, that's right. Yes. And I have to tell you, you know, in all the interviews I've done, I've interviewed you know hundreds and hundreds of women, and hearing a little bit about their backstory, um, a story you shared with me is by far one of my favorite because to me, um, the story that you shared about kind of coaxing and talking in 
your classmates into um, going to Coney Island during a a class break says a lot about who you were as a young girl. So I wonder if you could open up by sharing that story with our listeners. Yes, um, absolutely. So, yeah, first of all, I'll just back up and say that growing up in Brooklyn, um, you know, in the 70s was a wonderful experience. It was a it was a place it's, it's changed a lot now. It's, it's highly gentrified. But then it was a place that was a conglomeration of small neighborhoods. And um, and it was a wonderful way to grow up. And um, one one more thing that I'll add is that I grew up in um, in a very traditional Jewish background, um, and that I went to an all girls school. Um, I went for, to an all girls school for high school, actually elementary and high school, as well as um, then I ended up going to um, to Barnard, which is an all girl all female. Uh, college, it's the all female female college of Columbia University. Um, so I, I say that as background only because being part of an all girls environment, especially at your impressionable during your impressionable years, is very very empowering. Right? You grow up always having a seat at the table. There's no question. You know, do do women run things? Do girls run things? Yes, we run everything, right? We run the right. GO. We we run our 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 class um, government and our school government. We always run everything. So that sense of leadership is always kind of there, um, right, right. and and it goes in all kinds of directions. So for this story particularly, um, it was summer, and um, it was the end of the school year, and we had a double free period. Um, and our school was right next to the train station uh, that terminates at Coney Island, uh, which, for those of you who don't know, is the funnest place in the world, right? It's a beachfront <laughs> wonderland. And um, I I just looked out the window. It was really boring. And I, all I said was, hey, we have two hours. Why don't we go to Coney Island? So <laughs> there were 24 of us. The 24 of us march out the front door and get on the train. We figure... It's this 10-minute train ride. We get off the train. We're going to go on a few rides. We'll walk on the beach. We'll have some fun. Then we'll get back on and come back to school in time for the next class. So we get on the train. We get off on the platform. It's one of these large platforms in New York City. It's a terminus with, like, 20 platforms. And we start walking toward the, the Cyclone, which is that giant roller coaster in Coney Island. Um, it's one of the oldest roller coasters in the country. And um, a, an officer comes towards us and he says, uh, hello, ladies, how's it going? And we're like, great, we're going to go ride the, the roller coaster. And he's like, yeah, now come with me. So we, we follow him <laughs> downstairs. And what I now know that most people don't realize is that underneath that giant train station in Coney Island, there's an enormous... Um, there's an enormous police station dedicated solely, nearly solely, to truancy. Every kid in New York City wants to go to Coney Island if they if they're cutting class. Right. So oh we're my sitting gosh. there, and um, and the, you know we we're like all all of us are saying, please don't call our parents, and they're like, we're not going to call our pa- your parents. There are too many of you. We're calling your school, which is like <laughs> second worst. So we call school, and um, our the the 
the lady who manages the front office, um, you know, with this heavy accent, she goes, "Oi, send my girls back. They're, they don't need to be in the police station. But we, we so they, they look at us and they go, we are putting you on the train. You are to get back to your school. You are to go directly into school. And we're going to check that you're there. So oh we turn around, and now it's like dead man walking, right? Now we turn around. <laughs> or are the girls looking at you like, what did you, <laughs> what did you get us what into? You so we get back to school, and the principal is on the porch of the school, and the, you know all of the administration is on there, and every kid in school is, has their nose pressed against the windows, um, staring at this scenario. And we get to the principal, and the principal goes, whose idea was this? Oh, jeez. And everybody, 20, you know, 23 fingers pointed at me. <laughs> so it was, a, let's just say it was a very interesting evening in my household that night <laughs> when I got home. <laughs> oh, so, my gosh. Yeah. I, love, yeah, yeah, I love that story so much. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wanted to, as you're talking about it, I'm thinking, did you know at the time when you made this suggestion um, this is something we're not supposed to be doing, you know, and you were secretive, or did you just think, why not? It's free time. We should be well, able to do what we want. Well, let's put it this way. We knew we weren't supposed to leave the building, but okay. let's face it, how, sec- how secretive could 24 girls walking out the front right. door, <laughs> how secretive could that exactly be? Right, right, right. Um, right. So, um, yeah, so it was it was just a remarkable like you know we probably would have gotten into more trouble sitting in that classroom, gotten into more trouble just sitting in that room for two hours than uh, riding the cyclones for an hour. So, right. But that was you know, and that was about as naughty as as any of us ever got. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it was it was quite um, you know, and, and it's the stuff of legend right now <laughs> that that thing happened. So, well, I think it says uh, a lot, not just because you made that suggestion, but they all followed you. <laughs> you know, they all thought, well, Esther knows what she's doing, so we're gonna go. Oh, it's a great story. And you know what, Esther, you you've you know, you shared with me you grew up you know, in an Orthodox Jewish home. Um yes. and with a single dad, a very big part of your story is is that your mom passed when you were eight years old. Um the first question I wanted to ask you about that, do you, what is what do you remember most about that day when your mom passed? You're eight years old. It's- it's very hard to process that, right? That's um, it's, it's very hard to process that. But I remember, I remember the period. Um, you know, I remember the changes afterward, right? I remember that. It's 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 a lot to um, to go into, but certainly, you know, life life changed remarkably afterward. And um, the uh, as an only child. Uh, it really became very, very different. We actually moved, uh, we, we were living in Buffalo, New York at the time, and we actually moved to New York City. Uh, after that, we moved to New York uh, when that happened, and from age eight and on, I lived in, in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were a lot of changes that happened at that time. But, um, but as an only child um, of, a, of a single dad, I learned independence very quickly after yes. that. Right. I also um, I also learned, uh, you know, definitely independence to do a lot on my own, but uh, but also I was never treated as though I couldn't do anything I wanted in life, right? I my my dad was a um, he was a mathematician and uh, and a uh, university professor, 
And he always had extremely high expectations, um, you know, which probably didn't include going to Coney Island. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but he certainly had high expectations academically and high expectations of um, what I could do with, uh, with myself as a person. And I never got any messaging either from him at home or from school that the sky was not the limit to mm. what I'd be able to do with yeah. myself. So, yeah. Well, that's, a, yeah. you know, I think that's always, um, that has great impact on a young girl. When a father tells his daughter that she can be and do anything in this world, I think it carries a different weight than when they hear that from a mother or a sibling. Would you say that's true? I think it is. Um, I, I think it, it carries, I would say, different, not more or less, mm-hmm. but different. Right. Um, and yes, no, absolutely. And uh, and I was given every opportunity. Right. So I was I went to I was sent to fantastic schools um, and I um, was, you know, the world was my oyster. I never felt limited in any in any way whatsoever in terms of what I could do with my life. Right. Um, I will tell you that the all girls environment and, and you had that. Um, my daughter went to an all girls school as well. And mm. tell me, you know, I know what those benefits are. And, and as you said, there yeah. is there's no barriers there because you're all girls. You're all young girls and everybody plays a role. Yeah. Were there, was there any negative side to that for you? I didn't feel that. Uh, you know, I, I did not feel, and, and I've been, you know, processing it since for a few decades, and I, I feel there was only upside. Um, you know, I, there, aside from, you know, simply always being, you know, always being at the table, that sense of always being at the table, um, right. you also had, didn't have the, um, there's a lot of, especially during the, the early tween and teen years, I think that a lot of our society over-sexualizes young kids. And there's this odd pressure, right? Kids start dating when they're 12 or 11, right? And Mm -hmm. there's this odd feeling that girls have to look a certain way and you have to worry about what the boys think and all of that. None of that static was there. We could be completely ourselves and we didn't have to worry about anything prematurely any of that prematurely and it was extremely liberating it was extremely liberating you could let it all hang out you could be you didn't have to you know be be really delicate around anyone and Mm. it was very it was just a very liberating experience and i look back upon it very very fondly yes I think that is great. I I, I, used, I remember kind of <laughs> looking at my daughter as she rolled off to school in her sweats and her Uggs and her hair yes. all over, right? Is that how you're going exactly. to school? Yes. Who cares? Yes. <laughs> it right. is. It's, right. it's, fr- it's freeing. That's a great thing. Listen, we're yes. going to go into yes. our first break. Um, stay with us. I'm speaking to Esther Kestenbaum, the president and COO of Ruby Has Fulfillment. Stay with us for our watch team, and we'll be right back. Now, the women to watch, Health Watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Happy Valentine's Day. Let's talk about dental and oral health so you can have fresh breath when you kiss your Valentine. Today on Your Radio Doctor, Dr. Tom Solicito, professor and chief of oral health at University of Penn's Dental School, talked about common dental issues. Bad breath, not always from garlic, can be from gum disease, cavities, diabetes, reflux, even cancer. Don't just use mouthwash. Tell your dentist. 
cavities. Sticky plaque on your teeth combines with sugar and starches, makes acid that attacks your tooth enamel. Brush, floss, and avoid snacks and high sugar drinks. Cavities in kids can affect nutrition and development. Recurrent problems can be related to diabetes and leukemia. If the enamel wears away inside the teeth, we think about eating disorders like bulimia. Gum disease, red, swollen, and tender, may be a link to heart disease. Oral cancers, usually from smoking and excess alcohol, but cases from HPV are on the rise. Get your kids vaccinated. Tell your dentist if you have trouble chewing, swallowing, or moving your tongue. Mouth sores, if they last under two weeks, usually not worrisome. Fever blisters, cold sores are from herpes and are contagious. So wash your hands after you touch your mouth and before you touch your contact lenses. Candida or yeast, the white thrush in infants' mouths. It's also under dentures with diabetes, steroids, and chemotherapy. Tooth sensitivity with sweets, hot or cold drinks, and flossing, tell your dentist, could mean an abscess or jaw infection. Dental emergencies, broken tooth, abscess. If a tooth is knocked out, put it back in the socket immediately. And if you can't, place it in milk, skim milk, or solution from the pharmacy. Ask your doctor about antibiotics before your visit, if you have an artificial heart and sometimes with a new hip or knee. Lesions in the mouth can be a sign of other diseases like mouth ulcers and Crohn's disease. A large tongue can mean slow thyroid, multiple myeloma, or excess bleeding can mean low platelets. Listen to the show on yourradiodoctor.net. Keep smiling, divas. Now the women to watch, Legal Watch. Hi, Women to Watch listeners. This is Nicole Hitner at Ballard Spar for your Legal Watch. Gender diversity on teams is a hot topic lately, and retaining female employees is paramount to a company's success. As the co-chair of Ballard Women, I'm so proud to share with all of you today that Ballard is not just talking the talk, but we're walking the walk when it comes to diversity and inclusion. We were just named one of the best law firms for women by Working Mother Magazine, one of the top 30 best law firms for women by Vault, and one of the best places to work for LGBTQ equality by the HRC, receiving a 100% score on the Corporate Equality Index. Additionally, Law 360's Glass Ceiling Report just ranked Ballard number five in the nation for women equity partners among comparably sized firms. It's so important that our companies don't just rubber stamp gender equality and the legal industry is catching up. There are certainly carrots out there in the form of awards and recognition that can be retained, but the law is putting six in place now too. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, NASDAQ is putting in place reporting requirements for diversity on boards, and you can expect to see more regulations put in place under the new Biden administration. I'll keep you all up to date with the legal developments as they come to be, so keep tuning in here to Women to Watch. This is Nicole Hitner from Ballard Spar for your Legal Watch. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back. I'm speaking with Esther Kestenbaum this evening and um, some great stories about Esther's younger years and growing up. Um, and, you know, Esther, you shared with me that right out of school, you you actually got married and had four children. Um, talk about, you know, meeting him and, and what it was that kind of led you down that path after coming out of such a um, strong uh, background with the all-girls school and and the ambitions that are that are tied to that. Sure, no, absolutely. So um, I, I uh, got married right after graduation, and um, I met my former husband early on in uh, in my college career, 
And, um, you know, the way that I was brought up, um, you know, people got married quite young. They started families quite young. And it was very natural. Um, it was something that I was doing, all my friends were, were doing. It was, it was a natural progression. Um, at, you know, having larger families, and not, by the way, you know, having four children is not, not even close to what is considered a larger family. It's quite, quite average. Um, was, was a natural thing to do as well. And actually have four sons, all of whom are grown. When I'm, I'm all very, very proud of all of them. They're all grown. Um, they're all married and they all have families of their own now. So I'm also a grandmother many yes. times over. That's wonderful. Um, and yeah, so, um, so starting and having and raising a family as just very, very core to, uh, to the way that I was raised and grew up, um, felt natural, um, natural in the extreme. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, and, and here's something interesting that you shared with me. You were reading um, your alumni magazine and you yes. were reading about <laughs> you know, all the accomplishments of your classmates and something kind of resonated with you at that moment. Talk about that. Sure. So I made a choice, and I was very fortunate to be able to make this choice um, for uh, a number of years to um, to really focus on um, the early childhood raising of my children. Right? They were they were born very close together. There there are four boys, and um, and the household was extremely extremely busy, and um, you know I it was not. Um, it was a non-trivial decision, but I think it was it was right for me and right for us at that time. And so, um, so yeah, I would get my alumni magazine. We actually were living in Israel at the time. lived in Israel for 15 years. Um, all my kids were born there. And uh, I would get my alumni magazine, and I would see all of my, not all of mine, but some of my uh, cohorts um, really moving up the corporate ladder and doing um, doing a lot with their careers. And I was home, and I was I was taking care of children and changing diapers, and and like I would look at that and go, okay, wow, all right, <laughs> how's this going to work? Um, but what I realize now is um, I've I've completely caught up. And the funniest mm. part is that I have a lot of those a lot of those um, folks had their kids a little bit later in life, and um, and now I am you know free to pursue. Um, not only my my career, but also travel and excitement and all of that. Um, whereas, you know, they're still, many of them are still in the middle of raising your children. And I guess everybody has their own life arc that's right for them. Yes. Um, but I guess the lesson for me is not to second guess your choices too much. Because, um, because again, it's what's right, what, you know, your choices are what, what are right for you. And as you, you know, it, it isn't true that the grass is greener on the other side. There are challenges and opportunities with every set of choices and every path that you, that you might choose for yourself. Right. And, you know, Esther, you're such a great example of someone who, who jumped at opportunities and, and worked your way up. Um, what would you say to, to women who are afraid to take these chances or the risks, I'll say? Sure. Um, so first of all, I didn't. I did, I did jump at opportunities, but it was a progression, right? I started mm-hmm. working from home, doing technical writing, 
while my kids were young so that I had some flexibility about my hours so that it allowed me uh, to balance my various values, right? Because that's what it is. You're just balancing a whole bunch of values against one another um, if, you're, if you're lucky to be able to have the option to do so. Um, and what I would say is that, that you have to choose the path and the, the pace that's right for you and for your family and for, for your values. Um, but that when those opportunities come along, um, you, you're perfectly capable, even if you've been home for a while, you're perfectly capable of addressing them. It, you might have butterflies in your stomach. It might be a little nerve wracking the first time or two, but you're going to find that, um, I know people say this and it sounds trite, when you manage a household from soup to nuts and you manage the, the lives of your children and your family, you don't realize it, but there is no heavier responsibility. You are prepared to bear responsibility. You may have to hone certain skills, but the idea, the concept of bearing primary responsibility and saying, yes, the buck stops with me, that's already built in. That's baked into you already. You yes, may not realize yes. it, but, but it's already baked in. Right. And managing yes. the, the, right, the stress yes. and the worry when you're, that's such a good point. You, you know, mm -hmm. you're, you're managing uh, the care of, hu of little, little humans, right? Um, when right. you're an entrepreneur leading a company, you're, you're managing your employees. So the ability, I think, to, to manage the, the stress and the worry and the emotional piece of that is huge that you gain it, it from, from being a mother. Yeah. It is. And, and you know what? I will, I will just tweak that a bit and say there are no little humans. There are just humans, right? And <laughs> having human, human lives and livelihoods and well-being depend on you as, as a primary dependency, that is the essence of um, upper management leadership, right? You have a lot of lives depending on you, a lot of livelihoods, hundreds of livelihoods depending on you, right? We've got about 800 employees right now. And, um, and in our upper management, right, myself, our founder, our, our, our uh, leadership team, a lot of people's lives, right, those are 800 employees each have families. So thousands of people's lives, livelihoods depend upon us. So that ability to say, yes, I will have an actual human have their life depend on me in certain ways, that's, that's the decision you make when you have a child. Right. And uh, right. right. And if you're able to sustain that, then um, then you're not afraid. You're less afraid than the average person of that. Right. Than, than the person who hasn't maybe hasn't had that experience. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And you know what, Esther, I love how you, you use the phrase, um, you know, we're balancing values. I've never really heard that before. We talk a lot about balancing you know, the work-life balance, balancing life and, and um, work versus family, personal. But if the way you phrase that, you know, what we're really doing is balancing our values. That's such a key piece to leadership because it's balancing the things that are most important. What are your priorities as someone who's yes. in charge of a large group? Yeah. Is that yeah. something you would say um, you, you've kind of... Um, gotten better and better and better at or was that innate in you 
I think that there was some portion that was innate, some portion that that developed um, as I as I raised my children. Um, but but I we work at it all the time, right? We have competing we have competing values constantly. And this idea, right, that you're going to go to the extreme on one value to the exclusion of, of others, that that or isn't it's it's uh, it's false, mm-hmm. right? There right. really most things have to be an and, and then there are degrees, right? It's not a checkbox; it's a slider. <laughs> to what degree? Yeah. Yeah. To what degree am I going to lean toward this right now? And it's always and it's always changing. It's always you're constantly pivoting. It's a dance you're constantly doing. To what degree am I going to lean toward this value right now versus tomorrow versus yesterday? Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. You know, something that you've spoken about is one of the major decisions in your life was taking a job at a dot-com um, and, yes. and foregoing your MBA. Why was that the best decision for you? Well, um, we had come to uh, back to the United States after having lived in Israel for a long time. Um, I actually uh, applied for the MBA program at my alma mater at Columbia. Um, I actually got in, and simultaneously, in my this was my I was engaged in my first real job, right? And this was actually in my 30s, so very late bloomer from the from the career perspective. And uh, I, at this dot com, it was during the, the internet, uh, you know, boom and bust um, in the, you know, late 90s, early knots, as we say. Um, I had the opportunity to work closely with our, with our board. And our board was made up of CEOs from within the consumer electronics industry. And it was instant. In other words, because the company was small, because it was a startup, this was, there was this all-star board, and the board said, you know, we need to take you guys by the hand and introduce you to all of us, all the other CEOs, so that you guys can get your first proofs of concept going uh, in the field. And I had the chance to either, couldn't do both, I could either stay there and do that or go and get an MBA. And this was the, what what I did next was what's right for me. That doesn't mean that's what's right for someone else. But I decided to forego the MBA because, by comparison, it was almost a commodity compared to the opportunity I had now. Right? I could always get an MBA later. I could get an MBA here. I could get an MBA if we went back to Israel. I could get an MBA if we moved to Arkansas. Right? I could always get an MBA. This was a unique opportunity in my first job to be able to work alongside people like this. So that was, you know, that's an example of balancing values and making a decision that feels right for yourself. And I have never regretted that decision. I think that was one of the most important decisions of my life because of my career life. Because Mm -hmm. after that, um, right after that, I ended up, being hired forward by somebody who left from our company to join another company. Uh, that was a wonderful opportunity. And things, things sort of parlayed forward from there. So it was, you know, and, and just relationships that have la- lasted a lifetime as well. 
right and grown. Yes, so, yes. Yeah. And also continually you're you're showing that it's never ever too late to start anything, right? I mean, you oh, know, no. yeah, I mean, and I really, you know, no. women, it's important for women to know that because many take kind of that that time off um, to have children. And then for some reason they think, well, now I can't ever do anything else. And that's such a fallacy. Um, listen, we're gonna go into our next break. Uh, Esther, stay with us for our watch team and we'll be right back. Now, the Women to Watch, Military Watch. Hi, I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President of Military Affairs at Comcast NBC Universal. This coming week is a military milestone for the United States Coast Guard Reserve, which will celebrate its 80th anniversary on February 19th. As one of the seven reserve components of the United States Armed Forces, the Coast Guard Reserve contributes to our country's response to terrorism and natural disasters and provides support to the eight port security units of the Department of Defense. While the Coast Guard was established in 1790 as one of the nation's five military branches, the Coast Guard Reserve wasn't created until 1941 with the Coast Guard Reserve and Auxiliary Act. With fewer than 7,000 service members, the Coast Guard Reserve is a small but mighty force with no shortage of stories to share. So in honor of Black History Month, I want to highlight Magdalena Cobb, an African-American woman who enlisted in the Coast Guard Reserve in 1974. She served as the first female programmer for AMVER, which stands for Automated Mutual Assistance Vessel Rescue System. Established in 1958, the Coast Guard launched the rescue system to be a computer-based voluntary global ship reporting system used worldwide by search and rescue authorities to arrange for assistance to persons in distress at sea. Interestingly, the rescue system dates back to the sinking of the Titanic in 1912, when ships within sight of the passenger liner were unaware of the tragedy taking place. Distress flares were mistaken for celebrations, and there was no system in place for fellowships to report anything unusual. Since then, there was a need for a global emergency reporting system, but it wasn't possible until more advanced computer technology arrived decades later. Today, thousands of vessels are enrolled in AMVER, with 7,000 available in any given day to divert and assist in distress situations. The incredible advancements is all thanks to the Coast Guard and the Coast Guard Reservists like Cobb. So please join me as we recognize our Coast Guard Reserve this week. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Now, more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. 
Hi, Sue Rocco here with an update from one of our past guests. I'm here with Charlotte Sibley. Charlotte is the principal of Sibley and Associates, and she was with us back in 2016. I can't believe it's been four years. Charlotte, tell our listeners uh, what you're working on and what you've been up to. Hello, Sue. Thank you, and Happy New Year to everybody. Since we last talked, I have been elected as the first independent director to the board of directors of Advisen, a French-based biotech company focused on renal disease. And it's been very interesting, of course, working now remotely with the pandemic. We're all on Zoom for the past almost year now. Um, I'm on the remuneration committee, uh, NomGov, and we've just elected, uh, hired a new um, CEO who will be announced later this week uh, in our um, in our uh, public relations announcement. So that's been quite an exciting opportunity. Most of the meetings are in English. Occasionally, the minutes are in French. Um, I majored in French. It's rusty, but it's been good brushing up for me. In addition, I continue to chair the board of directors of Mendelssohn Chorus of Philadelphia, which is one of the oldest, uh, second oldest mixed chorus in the United States, volunteer chorus, and the largest in the Philadelphia area. We sing generally at the Christmas season with glorious sound of Christmas with the Philadelphia Orchestra, obviously not this year. And we are, however, doing several virtual recordings. If you look at mcchorus.org, our latest virtual recording of A Slice of Pie is by a local uh, commission from a local composer, Melissa Dunphy, with a local poet, Feminista Jones, um, on pie. And it's a glorious video showing, uh, in addition to the singers, people eating, baking, uh, slicing pie. So these are technological and musical challenges, but we're determined to keep the community going for Mendelssohn Chorus. I continue to do um, a lot of mentoring and coaching, having had a lot of job changes in my career. Uh, it's all pro bono, and of course now either all over Zoom or the phone. Not uh, No more coffee meetings for a while. Mm. I speak occasionally, um, and one of the sad events was that my husband was diagnosed with pulmonary fibrosis. He had a lung transplant uh, about a year and a half ago, and he did not wake up from it. So it's been a challenging year for me. Uh, It was our only option. I practiced gratitude every day for the 33 years we had together. We met at a blind date to the Metropolitan Opera in New York City, um, December 4th, 1985, and we were together ever since. So I'm grateful for that for friends, for being busy with my boards and mentoring for um, the, the time that we had. And now looking forward to the new year, the vaccine. Um, I was also uh, very, very honored to receive the uh, alumni award from Middlebury College at my 50th a college reunion and um, have been inducted into the Insights Association as uh, one of the inaugural um, Insight laureates, um, even though I haven't practiced <laughs> market research for a while, but bring the practice of insights to my board. So it's been a good few years, and I hope uh, in general, and um, I miss my husband terribly, and as he would say, Avanti, we go on.
Hmm. Charlotte, I'm so sorry to hear that about your husband. And I'm sure that you're, you know, keeping busy as you do in so many different areas is, is going to be helpful. So I, I wish you a very happy new year and continued success and hope you'll stay in touch with us. Thank you. I hope so also. And thanks for the opportunity. Happy new year to all. Take care. Thank you. Now, the Women to Watch, PR Watch. Hi, everybody. I'm Mindy Barnett, motivational keynote speaker and author. And today, I'm going to speak to you about how you and everyone you know is a leader. It was an ad in the newspaper, and it changed my life. Little did I know that when my mother presented me with a clipping back in the late winter of my senior year of high school, I was about to embark on a life lesson no classroom could or would ever teach me. I had always loved watching the Miss America pageant as a young girl well into my late teen years. I looked forward to that pageant date every early September and was permitted to stay up late, way late, on those blissful Saturday nights until that year's winner was crowned. Well, never having had an opportunity to be in a pageant before, when my mom found the casting call for Miss Burlington County, a preliminary pageant for Miss New Jersey, and ultimately Miss America, I didn't hesitate for a second giving her my answer. Yes. Sadly, in recent years, the Miss America organization and the pageant industry in general have gotten a really bad rap. Perfection is a mirage, and just like people are prone to make mistakes and then evolve, so are organizations. Through the grilling interview process full of angst and stress, I learned to stand on my own feet in the heat of the fire, how to handle tough questions without showing I was melting inside, and answer questions even when I didn't know all the answers. We all have those moments in the workplace, and unlike the pageant process, when you know you're going to be grilled, sometimes in business, these interrogations can take you by surprise. But don't be frustrated. Take a step back and respond rather than react. If handled well, we can all prevail. You can find out more about this message and much more from me on my website, mindybarnett.com, or follow me on Instagram at mindy.barnett. Thank you. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Welcome back. Welcome to the show. You're listening to Women to Watch, and we're going into our second hour. This evening, my guest is Esther Kestenbaum. Esther is the president and COO of Ruby Has Fulfillment. And wow, what a you know, what an interesting industry to be in right now. Um, with mm-hmm. everything that's happening around the world. And, and I, you know, we spent some time in the first hour talking about your upbringing and your, you know, your values and, and where you came 
from. And now I really want to talk about your role and and some of the challenges that you're facing. I wanted to, to start off the top of this hour with a quote. Um, Esther, you said the pandemic has compressed 10 years of e-commerce evolution into six months. I wanted to ask you, what trends do you see that are positive um, with you know, the work that you do, the industry, because we're seeing so much online and shipping and ordering. Um, what what are some of the trends you think will remain well after the pandemic? Yeah, um, I think that as, and, and first of all, that's absolutely right. We've seen this tremendous compression. It was going in that direction anyway. It was accelerating anyway, but uh, consumer behaviors have definitely changed. Uh, you know, online uh, purchasing, uh, along with all the behaviors, confidence to purchase online, purchasing things online that you wouldn't have bought online, uh, things like groceries, grocery products, and and others. That has all happened, and I, you know, I always say the genie is not going back into the bottle. Yeah, and yeah. it's very possible, and I know that when. Uh, you know, God willing, when the world opens up again and things uh, the uh, pandemic alleviates, people are going to go back into the world. And, uh, you know, shopping, in-person shopping, uh, brick-and-mortar shopping, some of it will come back. However, at the same time, the, the online shopping trend will not only continue, it will continue to grow. Mm. Uh, and both things are possible, right? It's not a fixed pie, as the world uh, opens up again, and um, we expect and we've heard um, the predictions that by next year we should be able to be back at full employment again, uh, folks are going to be spending more. And so there's room for both both for online shopping to continue and to, and to continue accelerating at the same time as brick and mortar um, makes, makes a, a comeback as well. Um, they're not at odds with one another. You know, what's so interesting as you're describing that, I'm thinking to myself years ago, you know, brick and mortar was the norm and, and this new online shopping was a novelty. You know, people were, what in the world is this? And now it it may be the opposite where, you know, we've all been forced to be home and we're buying online. And sadly, we're, you know, we've seen a lot of the small businesses close. So when they come back, they will kind of be a novelty all over again. Absolutely. And it's, it's also true that it was already the, the case that a lot of online shopping was influenced by in-store experiences. So people would see things in-store and then end up buying them online. Yeah. And I think that that will continue, right? Uh, we see brick and mortar coming back as highly experiential. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an experience. It's something to go back and, and look at. It's not necessarily the case that the actual transaction will happen in store and will precipitate in store. So it's a very interesting, the the brick and mortar model itself is going to be shifting too. And I think that there's just room that, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats. So it's going to be an interesting and and I think very positive um, next year or two, coming year or two. Yeah, that's great to hear. Um, I understand you've expanded both your warehouse and your corporate staff. Um, the yes. first obvious question is, you know, what has been the greatest challenge for you in doing that and, and having to manage that in such a short period of time? Ah, um, well, you know, COVID has been, has been an opportunity. COVID has also um, 
been difficult for us, right? Our our sharp growth in part overlapped with COVID, not completely, but in part. And, uh, you know, we know, I heard a statistic, uh, I guess, a couple of weeks ago that almost 25% of the country had called in sick, right, on any given week uh, over the past um, few few weeks. So that's, that's of course, been a challenge. Um, but I think that, you know, when, when I think about what makes a company unique and successful, uh, I think it, it is really about facing challenges, right? Because if something was easy, everybody would do it. So we actually relish hard problems. So how do you, you know, scaling, scaling something very, very quickly, scaling something that has a physical component is very, very different from scaling a software company, which has its own challenges, right? But when you scale something that has a real world component um, with human beings and actual real estate, that poses a different set of challenges. And if, when you see a problem, when you see a challenge, if you're able to figure out how to scale that and how to do it, um, then you have something real, right? Because again, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Right, yes. Um, so we relish that. You relish it. And do you, do you personally, in other words, I'm sure, listen, we, we were all scared um, when this hit and happened and everyone was kind of standing still for a moment and saying, okay, what do we do now? And as you said, you're, you're managing a system of people and, and product and it's moving and, you know, everything is kind of flowing as it should. And then all of a sudden you have, you're getting bombarded with mm-hmm. having to come up with a different way to do it and having to do more of it. Um, is that yeah. when you're, is that exciting for you facing those kinds of challenges? Yes, that's very, very exciting. Look, um, you know, part of this and part of what you learn when you go to an all-girls school is that you're not afraid to be competitive, right? You don't have to take a back seat. You learn that it's okay to feel competitive. And part of that competitive drive, um, part of what the competitive drive does is it fuels innovation. And so we, we look at this and we go, how can we stay ahead of what our clients need? Right. Well, there are lots of different ways. There are products, there are services, there are locations, there's increased geographic footprint. There are lots of ways that we can, there, there are technology integrations and partnerships and building an ecosystem. There are lots of ways that we can stay ahead of, um, of competition and, and break away from the pack completely. And some of those ways are difficult, are hard nuts to crack because again, mm-hmm. They, if, if it was easy, everybody would have done it, then it wouldn't be a differentiator. So we actually seek out, seek out the, the possibility and the opportunity to solve hard problems and, uh, and therefore break away from the pack. Esther, speaking of competition, is, and I don't know if this is, is a silly question or not, is, is Amazon competition for you or do you ship for Amazon? It's, it's both. <laughs> it's both, right? So they, they overlap. They do some of what we do. Um, there are limitations uh, to working solely with Amazon uh, that allow you, when you work with a company like ours, you break free of. Um, and also we accommodate, um, you know, uh, people to be able to ship through Amazon, um, through, you know, seller-fulfilled Prime 
and, and other types of Amazon mechanisms too. But what we're focused on, what we're very laser focused on is a direct to consumer um, experience, right? Um, a helping, helping e-commerce companies to fulfill orders for their direct to consumer brands through their own websites, because that's the major trend that we're built on, right? We're, we're built on the major trend of companies saying, well, why do I need to um, go through third parties? Why don't I create the value of my own brand and build the value of my own brand and own the direct relationships with my clients, with my customers, uh, and build my own house marketing list and be able to customize the experience for my customers in ways that third parties can't let me do, right? Selling through third parties. So we're extremely focused on selling sellers that sell direct to consumer through their own websites. And sometimes they also sell a little bit to Amazon or some to Amazon, but that's not our focus. And that's not the big, the major, the major tsunami trend that's happening is the direct to consumer trend where companies are selling directly through their own websites. Right. So um, tell me what, you know, as the president and COO of, of a fulfillment company, can you tell me what your role is? What's, what is a typical day? What are you doing besides interviews on radio? <laughs> <laughs> sure. So, um, so we have an incredible team and um, we're blessed with an amazing leadership team and uh, amazing management team and, um, and, and, you know, an amazing boots on the ground in all of our, of all of our warehouses. I personally am um, uh, more externally focused. So I, I have a focus on uh, business development, uh, partnerships, marketing, uh, client success, um, and a number of other roles. Um, we have amazing people focused on the actual uh, operations of our warehouses. We have an incredible technology team because we truly are um, technology-enabled services. That's really what we are, right? Because, um, you know, 100 years ago, shipping things may have been just a warehouse and people, and even 50 years ago, 40 years ago, people putting things in boxes. But today, we're talking about very nuanced software uh, incredible automation and robotics, just really, really um, kind of cutting edge uh, stuff, right? Almost futuristic stuff. And so we have an amazing technology team, um, technology leadership. And, uh, and one thing to remember is we have a founder who came from e-commerce, right? Rafi Zakhanov, who founded our company and is our CEO, he came from e-commerce. So really staying on top of all of this is um and and what is really needed and what our clients might really want that's really in our dna so um yeah so that's that's what i do I, i'm very very involved with most externally facing aspects of our company okay listen we're going to go into our last break and when we come back i want to talk to you a little bit about you know what what you do outside of work some of the other things that are close to your heart um, outside sure. of the company. Stay with us for our watch team and we'll be right back with Esther Kestenbaum. Now, the women to watch. Tech Watch. Hi, I'm Mary Manso from Pathways Consulting Group. One of the biggest challenges many organizations faced in 2020 was the ability to onboard the new remote employee. 
Many organizations just weren't ready for it. We saw this firsthand at Pathways and amongst many of our clients. They say that 5% of new employees quit immediately after a disastrous first day. 20% of new employees will leave within the first 45 days. Almost one in every three new employees will leave the company voluntarily or involuntarily before the end of their first year. These statistics are under normal circumstances, but I wonder how these statistics have changed with so many companies now moving to a full remote workforce. Let's face it, a good onboarding process leads to faster integration of new employees. Since technology will play an important part of the employee's everyday work life, conduct a survey with the employee of the remote work environment. Consider things like Wi-Fi capacity, security provision software, company software for remote meeting rooms, noise-canceling headphones, webcams. Planning Ahead will get your new hire set up with the right hardware, software, and access necessary to do their job effectively. In addition to the technology setup, getting the new employees started with virtual learning will be very important. Converting training manuals, contracts, employee handbooks, policy and procedure packets into digital files and training videos will make training more captivating. Doing this through an online employee portal will let the employee complete the training independently. Incorporating an automated tracking mechanism will let the HR and managers see the progress that's being made. Organizing and building out the right processes and having the right software applications to automate many of these tasks will be an incredible time saver and really assist in getting the new team member up to speed and perhaps increase your odds of retaining the employee. If you'd like to discuss onboarding and ways to improve it, email me at mary at pathwayscg.com. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. Now, the women to watch. Marketing Watch. Education is big business. In the U.S., the average cost of a four-year degree is just shy of $100,000. For the prestigious Ivy League universities, that number nearly doubles. And despite the COVID-19 pandemic moving classes online, most have chosen to maintain sky-high tuition, leading some to lament that the pandemic has turned storied ivory towers into just another online experience. Hi, I'm Lynn Falconio, and today on Marketing Watch, we're exploring how COVID-19 has impacted academia and the future of learning and education. Historically, the premium price tag of private universities has come with a level of cachet, providing a competitive advantage unmatched by online counterparts. Yet, as most institutes now implement remote curriculums, many are reevaluating the return on investment of a traditional residential experience. While the four-year undergraduate model will remain an important rite of passage and won't disappear overnight, emerging hybrid and online education models are on the rise, and these new ways of learning can provide students the freedom to live independently, explore new passions, and design their education on their terms. In the last 10 years, the marketing world has experienced similar trends in digital acceleration, and as I've guided clients through these transformations, I've found an essential key to success is balancing high-tech with high-touch. In education, this means providing students access 
to innovative online learning platforms, and managing the critical social relationships between teachers, students, and their peers. Community and connection in education is crucial, and research shows that of all factors that determine student outcomes, engagement is at the top of the list. The pandemic has accelerated the digital transformation of nearly every industry, and education is no exception. Now, as we explore new ways of living, working, and learning, we must ensure we balance technology with human connection as we look toward building a stronger future. For Women to Watch Marketing Watch, I'm Lynn Falconio. Now, more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back to the show. I have as my guest this evening, Esther Kestenbaum, the president and COO of Ruby Has Fulfillment. And something I always love to do with my guests, um, Esther, is talk about, you know, outside of their role, um, what kinds of things are they devoted to that perhaps are, um, you know, charitable, nonprofits? Um, and I know that you have been involved in, in some organizations. Can you tell me what, what one is? Sure. No, absolutely. So um, recently, I was privileged to join the board of Child Fund International. So uh, Child Fund is a global NGO, and it's really focused. It's been around for over 80 years, and it's been focused on um, being a development and protection agency uh, for children. Um, it's part of uh, something called the Child Fund Alliance, and. It works throughout Asia, Africa, the Americas, including the U.S., to connect children with everything they need to grow up safe and healthy. Um, so as an example, last year, Child Fund reached about 13 and a half million children and family members in over 20 countries. Um, so it's, it's, just, um, it's just a joy. It's, this is something that I'm newly involved in. And, um, you know, the organization has been around since 1938. It's a major organization with over a thousand employees um, and a phenomenal board that I'm very, very privileged um, to, to be part of. So, you know, this is um, we, we think about it as, uh, you know, it can't be that you just are kind of grinding away at, uh, at work all the time. There has to be some, um, some I guess, you know, some altruistic stuff that you do. I, I will just say um, that Ruby has actually is a, um, a corporate partner, became a corporate partner of Child Fund as well um, and has, has contributed. Um, but I'm, uh, you know, this is something that is a passion. I've, I've run companies that were related to the child welfare space, the for-profit child welfare space. Um, and, for me to be able to again be um, now from the nonprofit side, from the lay nonprofit side, be able to participate in something at this scale is really just a, uh, an honor. So that's uh, that's something that I am involved in certainly. That's wonderful. Um, tell me, Esther, when you look at the world today, and and certainly the pandemic and what has been taking place has. Um, been very, very challenging and difficult. But we talk on the show a lot about, you know, some positives that have come out of it and simply in people's 
um, opportunity to kind of be still and take a look at their lives and reevaluate. Can you speak to that? Some, you know, have you had any kind of aha moments yourself? And what positives do you see coming out of the pandemic? Um, sure. You know, it is, you're right, it's very hard to speak about positives when so many people have passed away. Right? We're up to about nearly, I think, uh, half a million people in the, in the U.S. alone. Yes. Right. So it's, it's very hard to talk about positives. Um, but I'll say that being faced with something this sobering um, and being forced to uh, you know, I think a lot in terms of forcing functions, it's been a forcing function to um, have people really focus on their daily lives, on the, on the people that are closest to them. Um, and I think one thing I've, I've always said my entire life is that there, there is a human tendency to be nicer, much nicer to strangers than we are to our own families. And uh, that's, that's something that has always been on my mind that, um, you know, the charity begins at home. And uh, I think uh, nobility begins at home. And the way we, we treat the people who are closest to us, who we see every day, who are always going to be there for us and we'll, and we'll never, we'll never leave, right? How we treat those people is incredibly important. And being, being, having the forcing function to be together in a house with um, with loved ones that really are the people that have the potential to be most taken for granted. Yes, I think yes. that is really interesting. And yeah. I know it's difficult for many people. We know um, we know that uh, domestic violence has gone up. We know that um, of all kinds, right? The mistreatment of children, uh, spouses mistreating one another. We know that that's gone up, which is heartbreaking. But it has to be that people have had to learn how to really live with one another, right? Where yeah. it's working, people really had to learn about that. And I think that that's one of the positives uh, as well. Um, it's, it's difficult because I think at these large numbers of people who are ill and people who've passed away, and I actually know, unfortunately, because I've spent as much time in New York as I have, I know many people who've passed away. I think when the numbers get very large, it's very hard to absorb them. We almost become numb to those numbers. Yes. Um, and, but unfortunately, I think that at, when it hits closer to home and you kind of know somebody who knows somebody, then you develop a, you develop a sense of empathy for that larger number. Um, and you realize, oh, those 500,000 people are like Mr. So-and-so down the street who I know right. and who passed away. Yes. Right. Right. And, and it actually brings you. Yeah. Um, but I think that, that these types of catastrophes and calamities, those are the things that, um, you know, you have to have a, a feeling uh, you have to rail against that in your heart. And that feeling of railing against it in your heart is what creates kindness. Right. Because you're sort of pushing back, like this is wrong. This needs to stop. And that feeling, that feeling of almost like a, this enraged feeling about it, that that actually can be translated into kindness and into action. And um, so that's that's one of our, you know, that's a little bit about my feelings about 
some of yeah. the uh, the potential positives. Yeah, right. And you know what's so interesting too? I think it's not during times of crises, people are always being kinder to each other than they normally would. And you think, gosh, why can't we be this way all the time? Why does it have to take, mm-hmm. um, you know, a crisis situation to have people be the way that they should be on a day-to-day basis? But um, you're right. It, it it has been a little bit of a wake-up call. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted yeah. to ask you, um, Esther, as well, when I think about women who are listening to the show and listening to you and your story, um, there are women who kind of are trying to decide what kinds of things are deserving of their attention outside their job and what are not. So when we talk about women's networking groups and organizations and time spent trying to to network and meet new people um, for the purpose of of new clients or customers, what what have you found to be worth your time outside of your role as president? I find that thought leadership is key. So uh, we, as I should say, we as a company have focused on thought leadership, but you don't have to be employed and you don't have to be part of a company to participate in it. So, you know, we are, we're in an era where there's social media. You don't have to wait for a major publisher to decide to publish something that you've written. So you're, you're, you have thoughts, you have opinions, you have perspectives, you have value that other people might want to, to, to read and mm. to know about. Yes. So I, would, I encourage participation in thought leadership. Um, things have changed greatly since my younger years. Uh, there was a time in the world where women supported one another a lot less. So being part of um, being part of organizations and being part of uh, entities that that uh, that have women supporting other women is important um, as well. And and I have to say I have to give a shout out to the company that I work for. Um, Ruby has has an incredible preponderance. Of women in top level positions, right? So yes, I'm president, but our, you know, we have our our VP of marketing, our VP of client success, our head of our head of business development, right? Our 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 head of quality, right? These are all people. These are all women, and um, and they're they're in a traditionally male. One thing to remember is we're in traditionally male um, industry. This right. is the logistics and transportation industry, right? It's not, you know, it's not the florist um, industry. So we are really in um, in a place where women are supporting one another with in greater numbers. Um, they're not feeling competitive to one another. Nobody feels that there are fewer seats at the table than for women than there, than there are women. So we don't we're not jostling with one another for position. And, um, and it's incredible. And the other thing is to find organizations, uh, whether it's where you work or, or, um, or professional organizations or social organizations where the men are enlightened, right? <laughs> where the men yeah, are supportive right. and, that matters. Yep. and the men, right. Where, where the men, um, uh, amplify and advocate and where the men have self-assurance. So they don't feel there's there there are not men who feel threatened by that um, by that what is a surge of very strong women coming into the workforce. Right. Um, 
So, and it's a leadership position. So, yeah. Tell me, so I, I want to give you an opportunity. You mentioned your four boys and I love that you have four boys. And, and what do you think your life has been for them as an example um, showing them that women, you know, can be and do anything. They, they can be a, sure. a leader in a big, big company as well as a mother. Well, um, I think, you know, one of the best things that, that I can tell you is that um, my, my four sons have all married highly competent, um, highly confident women. And they, I also have a number of granddaughters, right? And I know that my granddaughters are being raised to be highly competent, highly participatory um, women with, who don't feel that there are limits on what they can do with their lives. Mm. So I think if there's any one thing that I can point at, it's, you know, the women they chose and the way they're raising their daughters, um, I think is, is the best um, kind of, outcome that I can imagine, but the best thing I can point to in terms of, um, of any impact that, um, but you know, it's not just me. The world has changed. It's a different, it's a different world. It's 2021. So a lot of that would have happened anyway. The, well, <laughs> a lot that's of that right. Happened anyway. Yes, right. It w- it's happening, <laughs> right. right? Yeah. It's happening anyway. It's yeah. happening anyway, well, with me or without me. But um, but sure, it all builds on the story. There's a story, there's a general story that's building. And I think that girls and women need to hear it in stereo. They need to see it from their moms and their 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 mothers-in-law, their 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 sisters and their cousins and their children. We need to hear it from all directions. Yeah. Um, we can't, we can't amplify the, the message um, enough. That's right. And, enough and, ways. and, yeah. and that's one of the pot, you know, we talk about, you know, um, technology and the internet and all the, the bad things that are out there, but on the flip side, the ability um, for women, young girls from all walks of life to, to, to put their words and thoughts and values out there. Um, there's, just endless opportunity to do that today. So it's all good. Yes, uh, absolutely. Right. It is a, it, it really is an upward spiral. Yeah. And, uh, and it's only going to become better and easier. Well, Indeed. Esther, I'm so grateful for you to take this time out of your day and share your story. You're really an inspiration and I enjoyed it very much. Thanks for, for being on the show. Thank you. Much appreciated. Thank you. Now, the Women to Watch, Nonprofit Watch. Good evening, Women to Watch listeners. I'm Dr. Nakia Owens, Managing Director of Financial Empowerment at the United Way of Greater Philadelphia in Southern New Jersey. Last week, I had the pleasure of having Mary Author, President and CEO of Campaign for Working Families, join me to talk about their free tax preparation services and provide an overview for the upcoming tax season. This week, I've invited Mary back to join me to talk and inform our listeners about some of the important tax tips and tax law changes that they should be aware of for the upcoming tax season. Mary? Thank you, Dr. Owens. Three important tax law changes are, the first one deals with the economic impact payment, better known as the stimulus. The second one is the COVID distribution, which deals with your 401k. And the third is the earned income from prior year tax option. So these are all three very important 
tax law changes that will impact your tax returns. You can find more information on our website at www.cwfphilly.org. Thank you, Dr. Owens. Thank you, Mary, for joining me and for that important information that you shared around tax tips as well as some tax law changes that we'll be seeing moving into the new tax season. For more information, please visit their website or you can go to United Way's website at www.unitedforimpact.org or call our helpline at 211 for more information. And until next time, I'm Dr. Owens, your nonprofit watch. Sue Rocco here, host of Women to Watch. Are you a fan of the show? If so, be sure to sign up for our podcast at womentowatch.net so you never miss a show and can listen on your own time. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. Now, Women on the Fly. Hi, Sue Rocco here with our Women on the Fly segment. I'm with Esther Kestenbaum, the president and COO of Ruby Has Fulfillment. Esther, tell me how you start your day. Oh, um, I typically, I get up and I, I have breakfast and walk my dog. Um, and then I sit down and get to my, uh, get to my work. What is your mantra for stressful moments? Oh, I've been through much, much more than this before. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> Are you? Well, actually, actually, it's, I, this ain't no thing. This ain't no oh, thing. <laughs> okay, I love that. <laughs> are you are you a planner or more spontaneous? Um, I am a combination of both. Um, I I I think that's very important actually to have both aspects in your work. Where are you typically when inspiration strikes? On a walk. On a walk. A place you've traveled to you'd like to go back? Uh, Ireland. Hmm, one of my favorite gorgeous. places. Yes, absolutely gorgeous. Yes. I went there for work and always wanted to go back. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. How do you unwind? Uh, Typically uh, by cooking. I love to cook. What is your definition of feminism? Making your own rules and balancing your own values. Hmm. What are three words that describe you? Loyal, loving, and um, hardworking. Tell me a book you'd recommend to our listeners. A Gentleman in Moscow. And the last question, how do you end your day? Usually, again, going out to the park, getting into the outdoors a little bit, and and kind of setting that as like a demarcation. Uh, Although thanks. lately, I don't always end my day. Sometimes it just keeps going on. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's the middle of the night. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you, Esther. Thank you. Take care. Next is our Coach's Corner podcast, which is a shorter version of our weekly show and can be heard wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm BJ Gray with this week's Coach's Corner. Who is watching the World Series right now? I'm from LA, so the Dodgers are near and dear to my heart, but so is the notion of teamwork, relationships, and trust, which is what moves these sports teams forward into champions. We can learn so much from the sports world as those very same things can move our business world forward as well. That's why I'm working on a leadership course that is the making of a corporate athlete, which entails building mental fitness like an elite athlete. My leadership training will consist of three courses because to be mentally fit, you need to build three muscles, self-awareness, trust and connection, and brave leadership. Having the courage to know yourself better, having the courage to show curiosity and humility as a leader, and having the courage to master self-control and resilience is all part of brave leadership. 
The purpose of this first course is to build that foundation. Understand yourself first, your superpowers, your blind spots, and your unhealthy habits is the key to handling things more confidently and building mental stamina when you get thrown off guard by tough situations at work. You need these foundational resources, tools, and strategies to carry you forward into the next two courses. Boy, I could have used this course about five years ago, or really over the past 15 years while holding leadership positions in fast-paced Fortune 500 companies. I would have been more satisfied with my career, calmer, clearer, and more confident in my abilities. The bottom line is, the more mentally fit you are, the greater your success will be. Most successful people will tell you, though, that their success is due to a little luck and a lot of hard work. Louis Pasteur said, fortune favors the prepared mind. And I like to say fortune favors the brave. Both statements capture the idea that if you don't put in the hard work, no amount of luck is going to help you. In leadership, it means those who do the brave work of building self-awareness and becoming more accountable for their emotions and actions will be prepared to face today's complex workplace challenges. Check out my mental fitness framework at bjgray.com. Thanks for listening to this edition of Coach's Corner. Connect with me directly on LinkedIn or at bjgray.com. Until next time, I'm BJ from Coach's Corner. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Stay tuned next week for my interview with Sheba Fiddler. She is the principal of Sheba Concept and Design. Have a great week, everyone. Stay safe. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHD or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.